Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, Queering the Air, live on your 855am on your AM dial or streaming on the internet or on digital radio. <laughs> in this, I'm Iris, and in the studio I'm joined by some guests. We have Omar Saka, Regan, and Frankie. Hey. Hi. Hi. How are we all going today? Good, thank you. Yeah, enjoying the heat. It's steamy outside. <laughs> it's steamy I'm not inside. Okay, first off, I'd like to acknowledge that we're broadcasting from stolen land. This land was stolen by white settlers, and the whole and the so-called entire state of Australia is illegal. The sovereignty of the lands and seas of the Wurundjeri and Bunurong peoples has never been ceded. I acknowledge I benefit from white settler privilege and the genocide of Indigenous people on this land. Genocide and colonisation are ongoing processes, and I'd like to extend respect to Indigenous elders and any Indigenous listeners. Okay. We have a jam-packed show for you today. Yeah, along with interviewing Omar, and we're going to talk to Mama Elto later, so we're talking to some queer creatives today. Talking about their projects and futures and listening to Omar do a reading uh, but first up, we have a song by Arthur Russell called That's Us, Wild Combination. Welcome back, listeners. You're with Queering the Air on 3CR. 855 or streaming online. You just heard Arthur Russell, That's Us, Wild Combination, which is off the posthumous Calling Out of Context in 2004. Um, and so we're here in the studio with Iris, Frankie, Regan and Omar. And now we're going to have a little chat and hear a reading from Omar Saker. Um, Omar, do you want to start us off with your poem? Yeah, sure. Uh, This poem is called What My Body Tells. When the long silence of the dirt curtain is drawn over my skin, my body unblesses itself and begins to confess what it was before, a thing of want, a meat need, a hunger, a flame. God is listening to what my body has to say, or his messengers are, The great androgynous winged, each feather a world, each wing a universe. Their enormity minuscule before the original mystery. My gut will speak first with its long tongue. He filled me with more than I could hold without pain, it will say. I grew fat after every excess until excess became me and less began to feel like not enough. My eyes will grow mouths and blink apologies for every taut muscle they lingered over. Some days, they will say, 
He did not let us see anything but naked skin and openings. Some days we wanted the world, and he gave us only men. Some days we begged to see your glory, Lord, and he gave us only his reflection in the eyes of another boy. My hands will say, he did not put us to work the flowered earth, nor did he take wood and nail to craft a lasting comfort or necessity for others. He gave us over to his lips, Lord, to things of the air, to what is whispered, to what glides into the heat of a girl in love. Then the holy voice of the other will give my unbodied soul leave to defend itself, and it will remark the oddness of the spider that eats its mate, and the beauty of that single-minded confidence in being able to live alone. It will talk of the black male swans who steal the eggs of females to raise young together in the protective halo of their dark, their lifelong matrimony. It will say, Lord, have you seen a flock of starlings chattering as they wheel in the sky, a formation of unity, yet each voice divergent? And if so, what did you think of their ideas? Because I have some thoughts on the matter. Like, they might be saying, we know this world is only a test before heaven, but it sure feels like heaven. Or is it wrong to build a home in another's wing, or to adore the wind? Is it wrong to love this beautiful crucible? At the end of all this, I forgive the worms my fat, and a hundred years later, when I am dust and light, when I am grass and mud and root, I will say yes, Lord. I accept what my body tells. Omar, beautiful. Thank you. Thanks so much. That was Omar Seika, listeners. Um, I was just thinking as you're reading that you have a really beautiful reading voice. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and yeah, because I've, cause I've heard you read a couple of times and I'm always kind of like lulled into like the world and the imagery of your poems through your voice. Like you have a really incredible way of delivering like your written words. And I suppose my first question was like, um, do you prefer to read your poems aloud or do you prefer to let them sit on the page? Cause um, yeah, I don't know. I've heard different people say different things like, um, yeah, what are your, what are your feelings about um, like the formation of a poem, do you have to read it aloud for it to come together or does the reading aloud happen after you've written the whole thing? Uh, it can, it can be, depends on the poem really. Um, but I think both aspects are very important. So I always read the poem aloud, um, mm. many, 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 many times. When you're until, writing it. After I've, after I've written it, yeah. and then that's part of the editing process, uh, more than the composition. Um, and that's figuring out what's necessary and what isn't, and you know, where the rhythms are, and where to pause, and when not, and the you know, various meanings you can get out of um, shifting on those things. But in saying that, I think there's also a danger in reading aloud. Um, I find myself sometimes falling into easy rhymes, for example, um, and... It can it can lull you a little bit if you get too into the <laughs> just the the sound the of sound the thing of, rather yeah, than okay. the meaning of the thing, and yeah. so it's a careful balance between those mm. two. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
How did you first start writing? Was there a moment, was there a moment like early on in your childhood, like were you a book nerd and like did you write a lot, you know, when you were a kid? Because like some writers say, you know, like books were my escape or like, you know, writing poems for me was a way of like, you know, self-actualizing or like, you know, reclaiming or something. Nope. But like how did nope. it? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I only, I only started writing poems about, four years ago okay um, wow so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh it was i'm yeah still fairly new to it in that sense um when did i start writing at all that would have been uh when i was in say when i was 15 i think mm. um i started uh, i was a pretty rambunctious street kid when i was younger i uh, didn't like reading didn't do any of that until um, my stepdad bet me $10 that I couldn't sit still long enough to read a book. <laughs> and who won the bet? Um, well, I won, obviously. Yes, okay. I, I finished the book and then I couldn't stop reading. So I stayed what inside forever after. It was uh, King Arthur and his Knights of the Round Table. Okay, nice. By uh, Roger Lancelin Green. Okay. So not, not a thing that I was aware of. That book introduced me to the concept of magic. So mm. before that, I just had like, obviously the streets around my home and my auntie's house, my auntie's house. So that was like the, the whole world. And then I read this book that had like witches and queens and, you know, fairies and knights and magic. And I was like, yeah, blew my mind. Yeah. Great. Beautiful. Um, so you're an editor as well. You're the poetry mm -hmm. editor for the lifted brow, which is a, for listeners who don't know the lifted brow, it's a Melbourne based literary magazine. Um, and yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about, um, the crossovers between your, you know, intersecting identities in the writing world. So you're, you're obviously a poet unto your own right, and you're also an editor. Um, do you, are there specific things that you look for? Cause do you also curate, um, some of the material that goes into the lifted brow in terms of the poems or is it just, um editing the poems and is, uh, are there specific things that you look for when you're looking um, for poetry? I curate in the sense that I commission poets to, um, yeah, provide me with, with poems for the issue. Um, we will also, we haven't done this yet um, for me, both with me as the editor, but we will also be opening submissions to the public so that they can submit poems. This current issue, which is being launched on Saturday, um, it was just, it was pure commission. So that, you know, really <laughs> excites me, um, curating on that level, because it's basically just me reaching out to poets I love and having an excuse to do so. And then being, being like, give me poems and I will give you money. <laughs> yeah. And also publish them. <laughs> yeah, how great. So, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm really excited about doing that and um, bringing to the, I guess, Australian literary scene voices that we don't see too often or enough of. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I wanted to ask you a question about, like, is are there things that you want to see more of in publishing or in poetry? Like, um, do you feel like your role, I guess, as a commissioner of poetry is to, um, like, provide space for voices that we don't hear so much in, you know? I mean, yes, there is that kind of uh, political aspect of it, but there's also just me wanting to see... The poetry from yeah poets i love that so it's, love. i'm very selfish this way yeah. i will just i will just give space to um what i love most and um 
those also happen to generally be poets of color or queer poets um, and uh, various intersections thereof. So, mm. um, yeah, I, I, you know, my, my taste and my politics kind of um, combine in that sense. Yeah. And, and I definitely want to encourage others to, to do the same. Yeah. Um, so the, la- the launch of the Lifted Brow is on Saturday, this Saturday? Oh, God, I think so. I hope so. <laughs> okay, and it's the capital issue, right? <laughs> it's the capital issue, yeah. Okay, it's the capital issue. Um, maybe shall we go to a song and then we can um, maybe have a couple, have a bit more of a chat afterwards. Welcome, welcome back, listeners. You're on 3CR, Queering the Air, with Iris, Frankie, Regan and Omar. And that was Best to You by Blood Orange off the 2016 album Freetown Sound. Um, we've just been chatting to Omar Saker about poetry, editing, um, and he just gave us a beautiful poetry reading. Um, we just wanted to confirm that um, the Lifted Brow Capital launch is actually this Friday the 9th, 6pm at the Donkey Wheel House on Burke Street. Yes. That's correct this time. <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> okay. Um, Omar, take it away with another poem. Thanks so much. Cool. This poem's called Track Music. A man, sinuous, muscle shifting with each heave of the carriage, his hands moving over his skin, tender as a lover investigating each inch, a new bliss, lurched forward by uneven earth, love interrupted dance cascading into new rhythm, he pivots, hat falling, hair unfurling, a slow mushroom cloud, I wish I was sucking into my mouth. Next to me, a boy in high-vis vest, eyes glazed, fingers caked, cares nothing for the man who is dancing to his own heat, the melody of living. I want to kiss the dirt off his hands. On his back, he carries a bag, green sprawls out of its zippered lips, a splintered plant plugged in a small Mount Franklin bottle to survive this trip. We breathe the air it gives, a foot apart, Everywhere flowering to the rattle of rust and spike, nail and root, all of us relying on the steadiness of a boy's hands. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Um, I wanted to ask a question about, like, um, I've asked this question to writers before and I've got, like, differing answers, but mainly the question is about, like, how... Do you find writing healing? Like, do you find that you can write through grief, rage, despair, disappointment, and um, writing is like a go-to healing mechanism? Or do you feel like that sometimes the healing comes off as a label effect of writing? Um, Or like maybe you don't go to writing for healing at all. But Mm. um, I guess like I... I'm interested in that because I think about that in my work as well. Yeah, that's an, it's a difficult question. I think, you know, writing is a tool. Um, it can sometimes work for, it depends, but it's, I don't want to talk about grief as if it's, um, you know, homogenous, uh, thing that you can experience or deal with the same way each time because it mutates and it shifts. Um, and so writing might be the tool that you can use in one instance to 
kind of come to grips with it. Um, but the next instance, it could be completely useless. And it's the same for anger and it's the same for emotions. They're not, you know, objects. They're not something you can grip the same way each time. Um, so yeah, I have used writing, um, more as I think, uh, a tool of discovery. So I'll realize things when I am writing and come to the end of a piece, but then dealing with what I have discovered is up to me after the fact. It's mm -hmm. not necessarily, um, I, re I write something and then I'm like, oh, okay, that's what it is. I'm healed now. Yeah. That's yeah. not, that's not a thing. Yeah. <laughs> no. You know, more, more often it'll be, I'll write a piece I wrote an essay not too long ago and what I realized at the end of it was devastating and I was a wreck for weeks afterwards so far from from healing it actually broke me down yeah and or then, opened, <laughs> opened up. yeah and so then I had to you know spend um a fair amount of time kind of uh rebuilding in yep. a sense um yeah or at least uh regathering my equilibrium because building is the wrong the wrong word to use there yeah, yeah. um so it shifts and it changes is, is mm. the answer to that, which I don't know how helpful that is, but yeah. I think it, it's different for everyone as well. So, yeah. Yeah. And I don't think, I don't think the fact that like emotions shift and change so much and the fact that they're not this solid thing that you can look for, you know, that, that the one kind of like end object will always fix or heal or like be some kind of balm, mm. um, the whole nature of like emotions and grief and stuff like that is that it, you, there's not just one. And especially if, um, you know, like grief and anger and pain is actually due to systemic and, um, you know, outward forces, um, and mm. oppressions, it's like incredibly difficult to, um, use kind of like healing I guess I guess healing becomes something much longer and becomes something like you know not yeah I feel like I don't I don't even really want to use the word healing um because it implies that you know uh grief or or anger or any of these emotions are negative things that have to be you know excised or um smoothed over or any of these things and I think that they're actually very healthy in a way and I think we have to accept them and agree, accept yeah. what's occurring in your body as opposed to being like, I'm feeling this way. I must get it out or, yeah. you know, um, heal. It's not, it's not yeah. necessarily a broken thing. Yeah. 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 I guess like healing can also be surviving as well. Yeah. And like, um, mm. healing as not necessarily as like, I must, um, you know, get over or get rid of, but I must survive. Yeah, and sure. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, getting deep here on Queering the Air. <laughs> <laughs> Very important. Um, maybe we'll go to a quick song now. Um, this is Thinking About You by Frank Ocean. Hi, listeners. You're with Queering the Air on 3CR 855 on your AM dial. We were just listening to Thinking About You by Frank Ocean, and that's from his 2012 Channel Orange album. Beautiful song. Beautiful song. Um, we've got Iris and Regan and Omar Seika. Very, very, very lucky. Stoked to have Omar in the studio today. 
Um, we've been having a chat about poetry and he's been reading some of his work to us. Um, and he's going to do one last poem. One last poem. One last poem. Okay. Thank you so much. <laughs> this is called Alive. Today it is terrifying to be alive. It has always been terrifying to be alive. This, is, this in no way negates the first statement. Each morning I work to build the tools I know I will need to survive the afternoon. By the end of the day they are useless, blunted. Each morning I build and sometimes the hammer is clumsy, the wood is warped and splinters feather my hands. Some nights I am barely there, I am curled so tight over my wounds. Today I employ a dream, tomorrow I am propelled by a V8 engine of rage, and I don't think of the cost it exacts, I am so busy surviving. Every engine is an animal in the sense that it kills to live. My life is paved with deaths that ghost my periphery. I am afraid to look them in the eye, to say it was my crude hammer that cracked your skull, little lamb, little boy, little other. I must think of you as little to justify the blow. Maybe it wasn't a hammer, but a shield that enclosed my body and mind so I didn't see you take the hit. Maybe I just kept my eyes shut. Maybe it's a tool I have built to survive. I must admit at this point everything I create can be used to kill, 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 yet if I stop, I die. I can't stop. I wonder if this is how God feels, and if God feels like it's worth it. Thanks so much, Omar. Beautiful. <laughs> Sorry to end on a really grim poem. <laughs> <laughs> no, Fine. it was beautiful. Yeah. Um, where can people find your work if they want to read your works? Because some listeners might not have heard of Omar Seka. Um, um, well, those three poems that I read are new ones, so they're not anywhere yet. Um, so you're welcome. Hot off uh, the press. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I have some poems in uh, the Best Australian Poems Anthology, which recently came out, uh, the Contemporary Australian Poetry Book, which anthology, which also just came out. Um, you can look me up online. I'm on Twitter. I have a website. Um, and I have a book coming out in February. So. Beautiful. And that's through Cordite Press? Yes. Is that right? Cool. Keep your eyes peeled for Omar Seika. Thank you so much for joining us in well, the studio today. We loved it. Um, we've now got You Don't Even Know by the internet. Thanks. So much. You're listening to Queering the Air on 3CR 855. That was You Don't Even Know, the internet, which is off their album Feel Good. Thanks for that, Frankie. So I think we've got Mama Elsa on the line. Are you there? Hello. Yes, I am. Can you hear me? Hello. Yes, I can hear you. Amazing. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for coming and talking to us. It's very exciting. I was very thrilled when Iris asked me because, of course, Iris is a member of the amazing choir that I help run, um, which I think is one of the things we're going to chat about today. Yeah. How about we start off with that? Yeah. So, I've recently got involved in a trans and gender diverse femme choir called the Divine Femmes that Mama yeah. Altu helped set up. And you're a wonderful, wonderful part of the choir, if I may say so. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so um, we were, I was putting together an event for Melbourne Fringe um, because I absolutely love Melbourne Fringe. And one of the things that I love about that festival 
is that they're constantly looking for ways to improve because um, they have an amazing track record. But as all good organisations, especially ones that are involved with what some people might call the margins of society, I guess, with the marginalised and diverse groups, whether that be cultural or based around race or gender or sexuality or, or ability and disability. Um, Melbourne Fringe is always looking to improve and engage with and include all kinds of communities. So um, they do a wonderful Fringe Club program each year in, uh, in Arts House at North Melbourne Town Hall. And I was asked to come along and curate one of the big nights at, at the Fringe Club. So I was putting together this event um, with the idea of marrying the traditions of religious organisations like churches or, or those kind of, you know, ceremony and ritual, but marrying that with progressive ideals and progressive social movements and identities and communities. And I said, you know, wouldn't it be great if we had a choir for this event? But I, w I wasn't interested in contacting any existing choirs because in, there are great choirs in Melbourne. Um, and that's a fact, and they're amazing musicians, and they do amazing work. But my experience growing up, and the experience of so many of my friends growing up as gender diverse and trans people, was this feeling of alienation in a choir, um, which is ironic in a way, because choirs are so much about belonging. And I've, I've been part of some wonderful choirs that gave me that sense of belonging, but they're few and far between. And the one that that really... Um, accepted me and didn't abide by those kind of arbitrary gender lines that choir and choral singing parts so often depend on and reinforce in very arbitrary and forceful ways. Um, that choir no longer existed. Um, otherwise, they would have been my first choice for the night. And I said to my musical director, the amazing pianist Miss Chief, we should put together a choir especially for trans and gender diverse um femme people because so often in a choir there's no place for us because um, you know traditional choral notions of four-part harmonies and soprano alto tenor baritone or bass they're so interested in reinforcing a very hegemonic traditional gender divide um, and forcing that upon people's voices and I'm not interested in that at all so that's how we came to form this choir and we put out a call for people who, because I even knew just from amongst my friends, there are so many people who love to sing, who would love to be in a choir, but have been alienated or not fit in or experienced um, gendered violence, whether that's implicit or explicit, from a, from a choir situation. So that's how we came to form the Divine Femmes. Yes, thank you so much for that. I'm so glad that you were able to form it. And yeah. Like, yeah. And like... then from that first event where we just had about six singers who had come forward from our public call-outs on the internet and from people telling their friends and word of mouth, it's kept growing and growing as more people hear about it. There's mm. about 11 members now, and, and we always accept through our Facebook group new applications. But over the summer, we're going to look at improving upon that again and trying to form um, in consultation with different people who I know, we want to try and form a kind of a kind of um, either a part of this choir or another separate group that caters to transmasculine people because everyone's got music inside them. That's what I think. 
yeah, it's yeah, it's so good to see a choir that recognizes the toxic gendered assumptions about voices and particularly how they harm trans and mm. gender diverse people. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, that's it's something very important to me because I, I've always believed and thought it's my philosophy that everyone can sing. Um, and and we're socialized to believe that we can't, mm. you know? Yeah. And um and that happens to a lot of people because a lot of people grow up and think they can't sing mm. and so then they never are able to acquire, gradually acquire that, that skill set or to let their their voices grow physiologically into those skills, mm. which, yeah. you know, would normally just be part of, of, of development and growing up. And, um, but for trans and gender diverse people, often that happens in a very explicit way where they're forced to sound like a certain way, either um, because people want to reinforce, forcefully reinforce a coercive assigned gender from birth, or because they are trying to force uh, binary, traditional, hegemonic passing gender roles upon somebody um, who has transitioned or who has expressed gender diversity, and sometimes this happens in very harmful ways if it's not if it's not done in a way that's self-reflexive and that focuses on music and growth and the, and what actual voice is there. Yeah, could you give me one example of how this how the choir differs from other people in terms of how we talk about voices and stuff? I mean, just well, um, from other choirs. Yeah, well, we we try not to do that whole soprano, alto, tenor, bass thing. Um, in we've we've still only just got one song going because it's such a, it's only mm. three months old now the choir, but we want to introduce some new repertoire. But a big part of it is avoiding locking people into categories. So per song that we do, we rehearse the songs, we learn the songs, we have just a couple of of harmony choral parts in each song and people can pick um, which harmony they want to do at what pitch and what octave they want to do it. Um, we're actively avoiding um, words like high and low parts because so many times um, in traditional choir settings you'll have people say, oh, um, the high and the low, the girls and the boys, uh, mm -hmm. the sopranos and the altos the tenors and basses, and just completely attach these kind of terms that shouldn't be attached to or necessarily associated with a gender binary, but they just, they attach them to those. And for many people, it's become, you know, an un unbreakable association um, mm. mentally or culturally or musically. So we want to avoid that and we want to focus on individuals coming together um, and singing together as individuals rather than as these categorised groups that should sound like an individual voice and that should sound like the girls and the boys, which is what so so often happens in choirs, not through any kind of maliciousness, I should add, not through any kind of um, malicious secret uh, warfare by musicians and choral directors and, and conductors, just because that's the social system um, that their music and their learning happened within. And it's hard to break out of that kind of dogma, you know, and you might not have even realised that that was going on in their training. So, um, but we are trying to change that for people because when people just want to sing and make music together, to have an environment where they can go and do that without uh, all of this kind of 
extra stuff to do with the gender binary being pushed down their throat, uh, excuse the pun since we're talking about singing, you know, it's very hard because as trans and gender diverse people, mm. you experience that everywhere in life. Yeah. So something that should be fun, sometimes it's therapeutic, it connects to the emotion, something as self-expressive as singing. We want a, people to be able to do that without any of that stuff, mm. any of that BS going yeah. on surrounding sure. the music. So that's just one example. We try to avoid that mm. binarized high-low girl boy stuff. And then yeah. in another way, Mama we're Alto, very interested. Yes? Can I just ask that we you move on to some of your stuff now? Because we have a couple oh, of minutes sorry, left. Oh, sorry. I got so excited about so, the choir. That was really good. <laughs> People can go onto the Facebook page for the Divine Femmes if they want to find out more or if they have any suggestions because we're very open yeah. to people letting us know Get in their contact. thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what would you like to know about some of my stuff? So, like, I've heard you... What have you got planned for the rest of the year? Yeah, well, I have a big show coming up um, next weekend. Um, it's called Mama Alto's Blues in the Night. Um, because my practice has focused so much as a cabaret singer on art forms like jazz and blues because of this immense power they have as communicative, um, communicative storytelling music, but music that has always acted as an agent of social change. Um, and especially it's interesting to me because it's a, jazz is a music by and large that stands against things like white supremacy, that stands against things that has the power to stand against things like misogyny. Um, and so we put together this show, Chapel Off Chapel said, we want to have a Mama Alto show here and we want it to be something that we've never seen before at the chapel because they know... My usual work is very much a kind of cabaret lounge. Here's a song, mm -hmm. here's another song with my amazing pianist and sometimes with my amazing band members on double bass and drums and horns. And so for this one, we, we want to turn the theatre into a 1930s blues club when people come in. But it's simultaneously a 1930s blues club and the world right now because we're, you know, the show is mm. ostensibly about the blues but actually it's about neoconservatism, mm. neo-fascism, yeah. these kind of oppressive ideas that in the 30s they really emerged and the musicians and the artists were talking out and standing out against them, but it came to dominate global politics. And that is exactly what we are seeing today. We are seeing mm. patriarchal, yeah. white nationalism, white supremacism, anti-woman, anti-trans, anti-LGBTI um, people coming to power and using their fear-mongering and xenophobia, um, you know, to try and control us in very insidious yeah. ways. So, Mama, can you just yeah. give the details of your performance? And unfortunately, Definitely. we're running out of time, so I have that's to say okay. goodbye I to think you then. I've summed it up. <laughs> yeah, you pretty much <laughs> so summed it up perfectly. Mama Alto's Blues in the Night at Chapel Off Chapel. Um, that's in Paran on Little Chapel Street, and it's on on Friday the 9th and Saturday the 10th of December with two evening shows and also a matinee show for people who work at night. Um, and it's a wonderful venue, Chapel of Chapel, because it's fully universally accessible for anyone with mobility aids or anyone using any kind of mobility assistance. Um, so we love that venue. And yeah, you can find all the details on the Chapel of Chapel website. Okay, Beautiful. thank you, Mama.
thank you so much for having me. I, so, I just once I start talking, I can't stop. So I'm sorry that I talk so much. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you so thank much you. for having me. Have a wonderful yeah, afternoon. Yeah, you too. Bye. Bye. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Mama Alto, for joining us. Um, we're just about running out of time. Um, so we just have some quick um, reminders about some events. So Friday the 9th of December, coming up Lifted Brow, 6pm, Donkey Wheelhouse on Burke Street in the city. There's also... Launch of Archer this Thursday, Volume 7, the They Them There's edition at the Abbotsford Convent at Cams at 7pm. And Mama Alto's beautiful event, which you can find on her Facebook page or yep. on the Little Chapel um, website as well, yes. she mentioned. Beautiful. Yep. And we have the Mester West Festival that's happening right now. And that's based mostly out of Hot Shots and Footscray. So look it up if you want to go to a DIY orientated sort of festival. Thanks so much for joining us today. We've been Frankie and Iris, and you've been listening to 3CR Queering and, the Air. And also thanks to Regan for helping us today. Thank you, beautiful Regan. And this is We'll Send You Out with Lona by Mickey Blanco. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.